I'm Bill Bubert, retired Army officer and a regular warfare practitioner and scholar. Welcome to Chasing Ghosts and a Regular Warfare Podcast, the show that examines the mythos, lost history, bad thinking, martial malpractice, and government incompetence that informs so much of a regular warfare. I want to peek behind the curtain at the vast machinery and briar patch politics of insurgency and counterinsurgency and everything in between. Now, let's go ghost hunting together. Hello, welcome aboard. And this is Bill, your host. Welcome to episode 18, Paris and Paris, a continuation of our French coin series that we did. I find that in my exploration of new episodes and my crafting of new episodes and what's going to happen this year, what's going to happen next year, every fortnight, sometimes you're going to see interregnums and pauses between episodes while I either gather my breath or uh, conduct the research necessary to continue. As everyone is aware, I've already done uh, several French coin episodes, and this will be the follow-on in that pastiche. So what we're going to cover this episode is the 1961 General's Putsch of Algiers, not P-U-S-H, but P-U-T-S-C-H of Algiers, and into well into what's referred to as metropolitan France. I wanted to cover this for several reasons. Number one, it continues the French coin episodes that I had crafted the first time. It does sort of riff and resonate off of the Algiers mess that the French made in North Africa. But also I wanted to illustrate how what empires do abroad always comes home and sometimes in a really negative fashion. Newton's third law is a motherfucker. And it's a motif that finds itself throughout the entirety of history and the vanity of those who think that they can take the historical reins and through great men or great events, guide it in the direction they wish. What we find in hindsight is that isn't necessarily the case. So first of all, so that we're on the same page, I'd like to examine some taxonomy and typology of political change. And this would be violent or ordered political change at the point of a gun. Now, a putsch, P-U-T-S-C-H, tends to be counter-elite-led, has a low level of public participation. The intentions are elite replacement, in this case, metropolitan France, and consequences if successful, a new elite. Now, this is unlike a coup d'etat, which is elite or counter-elite-led, low public participation, governing elite renewal, that's the intention, and the consequences, of course, are new personnel in the ruling elite. Now, this can be everything from violent revolution and coup d'etats and coup de mains to uh, what color revolutions have become in the West, where starting in 1986, the U.S. and the U.S. State Department and the U.S. Department of Defense going through 2004 and 2014 in the Ukraine and everything in between, has sponsored color revolutions in which they have employed the means of voting mechanism, uh, social media, uh, black propaganda, white propaganda, these weapons of choice that aren't necessarily kinetic but are non-kinetic and tend to be strategic or grand strategic in their nature. You'll have revolutionary coup d'etats. This is led by an elite or counter-elite led. 
level of public participation for this one would be high audience participation. Everything from what has occurred in the West over the past hundred years since the end of World War II, going back to the French Revolutionary Conflict starting in 1789. The intentions of the revolutionary coup d'etats, elites, renewal of governing governing elite for mass participants, changes of leaders and priorities. And consequences of successful is new personnel in the ruling elite. And last, there's political social revolution, which is counter-elite-led, very high mass participation by the population. It means a fundamental replacement of the political class and socioeconomic system, much like we saw in Cuba in 1959. Uh, it would, the consequences would be a new political class, a reconstituted institution, including property relations, whether private or expropriated through government means where they're not so private. I'm hoping that these podcasts have a comprehensivist effect, an accumulation effect, where we're building from foundational layers into more and more sophisticated constructs and superstructures of our understanding of irregular warfare and that vast constellation of human behaviors and events that informs war and conflict. Now, I said this is going to be Paris into Paris about the 1961 general's putsch of Algiers, which could be said putsch of Paris, France. Now, of course, this being mostly an historical enterprise on this podcast, we have to go back in time so that we can see what the unintended consequences and second, third order effects were of all the actors and events in this vast play in North Africa and metropolitan France. Apologies to those who speak in an articulate fashion in the French patois. I will probably not be able to match your ability to do this, and I may butcher some of these words. My apologies in advance. Now, the April 61 General's Putsch of Algiers was a failed military action to press French President Charles de Gaulle to not abandon French Algeria, along with French people and pro-French Arabs living there, the Pitinois. The Putsch in French Algeria was conducted by four retired generals led by Maurice Chalet, the commander of the French Armed Forces in Algeria from 58 to 60, and the author of the successful Chalet Plan, the plan which in effect helped to defeat militant rebels across Algeria. What's interesting about this successful Chalet Plan is that between 60 and 62, all goes quiet in Algeria, and by 60, 61, and 62, the Algerians have everything but their independence and get that rather quickly. Now, in 60 and 61, French soldiers and legionnaires in particular, from the French Foreign Legion, the Legion Etrangère, who saw the successes of their military actions in 58 to 60, couldn't understand why President de Gaulle was speaking about abandoning Algeria since they had been there since 1831, an integral part of France since 1848. Moreover, it was the French army, after all, who carried out a successful anti-government putsch in Algiers and May... 1958, to install de Gaulle as president to save French Algeria. Heads were nodding, people were scratching their heads. Pause in space and time, and we must go back. We had to go back to 1940-1946. General Charles de Gaulle, French officer, in June 1940, he flees France for Great Britain. There, he presented his appeal of 18 June 1940, which I urge all of you to read if you get a chance It concerns that those who subscribe to Vichy France would have an opportunity to join the Free French. And 
it was a response to end the war between France and Germany. General de Gaulle asked French soldiers to continue in fighting, to continue fighting as free French. He asked them to join him in exile in Britain. The next day, 19 June, a new speech by General de Gaulle. He said that, quote, all forms of authority had disappeared, end quote. He didn't see the then French government as legal, the Vichy government. Later in June 1940, he proclaimed himself as the only legal French leader. In July 1940, he would establish so-called Free French Forces, FFL, a part of the British Army. In fact, de Gaulle launched an armed action to overthrow the then French government to install himself as the French leader. However, at the beginning, the plan wasn't so successful. Some 14,000 French soldiers were in Britain at the time. Only 1,300 would join him in his FFL of the British Army. The rest asked to return to France to serve under the French flag under Vichy France, which was the German-occupied France and the collaborators with the German Nazi regime. In 40-42, FFL would fight against France and French soldiers. In 44, General de Gaulle was recognized by the U.S. as a French leader and recognized by the West as the French leader. And finally, in November 1945, remember the war in Europe ends in April 1945 and the the war in the Pacific ends in August 1945, he became an official leader of France, recognized by France itself. However, he kept his office only a few weeks. In January 1946, General de Gaulle had to resign the result of the then political crisis. Now, from 1946 to 1954, the first Indochina War, in which the French had been in Indochina and what we now know as Vietnam, Laos, and parts of Cambodia since the late 19th century, French Indochina refers to those French colonial territories in Southeast Asia. In Indochina in 1946, the new conflict officially started between France and the Viet Minh. You'll recognize them later on. The League for the Independence of Vietnam, mostly communist-led, indigenously. Tens of thousands of French soldiers died between 46 and 54, and between them thousands of legionnaires. And in 1954, the ceasefire in Indochina went into force. And of course, one of the reasons for that is because of the French problem that they had in a certain valley. That valley would be Dien Ben Phu, and for those who want to uh, dig into that, I recommend Ted Morgan's book, Valley of Death, The Tragedy at Dien Ben Phu that led America into the Vietnam War, and of course, Martin Windrow's book, Dien Ben Phu and the French Defeat in Vietnam, The Last Valley, The Battle That Doomed the French Empire and Led America into Vietnam. Windrow also does a terrific Um, history of the French Foreign Legion, as does Douglas Porch. So those are um, great books to really give you a backstop and much deeper exploration of the things we will be talking about today. So the French had to leave Indochina. Many French officers and soldiers saw it as a treason. They were persuaded that the war could have been won, but then they saw French politicians as traitors of France. Now, you will find a motif throughout colonial times that when soldiers of any nation and their aggregated polity within their home country find themselves either in defeat, withdrawn, or taken out of a former colony, these sentiments are not unusual at all. 
because they were persuaded that the war could have been won. Haven't we heard that about the American presence in Vietnam up until 75? Now, of course, we fast forward now after this defeat in 1954 to 54 and 55, in which the Algerian War has started. And you have the National Liberation Front, which is an Arabic, indigenous, Islamic organization in Algeria, which, if you'll take out a map, is located in the north of Africa. And I wouldn't say a stone's throw, but it's a, probably a day's boat ride from metropolitan France, which was one reason why Algeria and Tunisia had been taken as colonies by France. Now, in North, Ar- in North Africa, local rebels, they started to intensify these military actions. These actions took part in Morocco, Tunisia, and Algeria all under French control for decades. Algeria, as I mentioned before with the Pere Noir, had been under French rule since the 1830s. The attacks were aimed at French forces presented therein. In Algeria, the main rebel force was the FLN, which is the National Liberation Front. Later in 1955, these rebel operations would consolidate, expand, and escalate themselves into the Algerian war with France. Now, in 1956, the independence of Tunisia and Morocco is granted by the French. Curiouser and curiouser. These were also countries that were under French control for decades. Thousands of French soldiers have died for them. Then rebels were poorly equipped and less active than Algeria, but then again, seen as another portrayal, seen as another loss of Indochina, seen as yet another instantiation of the politicians selling the soldiers out. We fast forward to 1958, and we have the May 1958 Putsch of Algiers. May 13th, a coup took place in Algiers. Mind you, this is a French colony led by four French generals. Those generals would be Salan, Massou, Jouhan, and Grasso. A response to an quote, incompetent government support of military efforts, end of quote. French politicians were once again seen as traitors of France. French army and the French settlers were afraid of another Indochina. They didn't want to see Algeria to be lost. During the night of May 13th, the army seized power in Algiers. The armed Puchist were led by General Jacques Bousseau, then head of the 10th Parachute Division. EDP. They formed a provisional military government led by General Raoul Salan, and he was the commander of the French Armed Forces in Algeria at the time. General Salan went to give a speech on radio. He said the army took over responsibility for the destiny of Algeria. Things get interesting here because what he's basically calling for is a return of de Gaulle to power. That's what they wanted because... They had invested in de Gaulle thinking that he would provide the backstop and reasons and political backing they would need to retain French Algeria in the colonial constellation of metropolitan France. Little did they know that as a result of this putsch that things would reverse on them, of course, by the politicians. There was Operation Corset. C-O-R-S-E, part of the May 1958 putsch, a military operation to seize Corsica by the putschists. And the reason they wanted to seize Corsica is Corsica was the home of the French Foreign Legion. It's an island southeast of France. 
And on May 24th, it was seized by French paratroopers coming from Algeria. Those French paratroopers were both uh, Foreign Legion and French regular army. And Operation Resurrection was part of the May 1958 putsch. It was a planned military operation to seize Paris, no less, the capital of France. And French paratroopers would have been involved in this. The goal was to force the French government, and the French politicians agreed for de Gaulle's return to power. May 29th, General de Gaulle was appointed as prime minister, and the operation was canceled, and the seizure of Paris by paratroopers in May 1958 was stopped, but not forestalled, but for 1958, it was canceled. So in June 1958, merely a month after de Gaulle was installed as prime minister, he visits Algeria. He shouted, long live French Algeria, to the crowds. The French soldiers and French settlers were happy, and they believed that French Algeria was saved. You can imagine that the majority Arabic population there that had suffered under the French colonial boot since the 1830s was not as pleased as the French. In 1958, there's a French constitutional referendum held on September 28, 1958, to adopt a new constitution for the French Fifth Republic. French overseas departments were allowed to vote for their independence, and in Algeria, 96.6% of voters voted yes for French Algeria, voted by both the French settlers and local Muslim Arabs. Wink, wink. A slight editorial interregnum. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on back in the scenes. There's a lot going on with um, resistance and dissatisfaction by French settlers who wanted more than they're getting as we speak. There's a lot to the FLN and its opponent groups. There's a lot of things we're not going to cover in this particular podcast episode, but I may delve deeper into those things in future episodes. For the sake of brevity and this not being many tens of hours of long, we're not going to go into all those details. So then we have French PM de Gaulle, who becomes French President de Gaulle in December 1958. The Fifth Republic is established in France. And remember, nothing happens in a vacuum. I had mentioned in previous episodes that after 1945, the colonial world that had been dominated by the West was shook to its foundations. And Belgium, Great Britain, even the United States, and Spain, and Portugal, and France, and a number of other countries, colonial holdings planet-wide were being ripped asunder and assuming independence and multiplying the number of nation-states on Earth. France was not immune to this. In 1959, the French are trying to consolidate their military victories in 1958 and 59. They have many successful military operations. The FLN rebels were almost defeated, and in mid-1959, the French army was the closest it would be to victory in Algeria. Now, I recommend an early 60s film filmed in black and white in French that is terrific called Battle of Algiers, which gives a great fictional and ahistorical representation, but sort of skews to the facts now and again, but a great narrative representation of what was going on in Algeria at the time. It's called Battle of Algiers. And now we have the fly in the ointment, de Gaulle's Algerian self-determination protestations. On September 16th, 1959, President de Gaulle spoke about Algerian self-determination. This is a little under a year after he had said that they were sealed in the deal to remain a French colony. He said Algeria had the right to self-determination. 
This was a shock to Algerians and a shock to the French army in Algeria. They saw this as a great political betrayal. French settlers and local Arabs feared left-wing FLN militants to gain power. French soldiers didn't want to accept that they were fighting and dying for nothing. 1960 comes around, and then we have General Massou's criticism of de Gaulle. He's the commander of French forces in the capital of Algeria, Algiers. He's the ex-commander of the 10th Parachute Division, key figure of the May 1958 Putsch. January 18th, in an interview, General Massou was published by the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung. In the interview, he stated that de Gaulle's Algerian policy is bad, and according to him, the army would be ready to provide weapons to civilians if need be. He also stated that the selection of de Gaulle in 1958 was a bad choice. Now, remember that the army in 57, 58, and 59 were instrumental in getting de Gaulle's throne, as it were, to both the prime ministership and the presidency. And General Massou was immediately removed from office after this interview. Then we have the week of barricades in January starting on the 24th. An insurrection in the Algerian capital started Algiers. This was led by French militant civilian groups supporting the army. This would be the Organisation Armée Secrète, the OAS, Secret Armed Organization. It was a far-right French dissident paramilitary and terrorist organization. During the Algerian War, the OAS carried out terrorist attacks, including bombings and assassinations, in an attempt to prevent Algeria's independence from French colonial rule. They wanted to demonstrate their support of French Algeria. The demonstration was led by Pierre Lagayard, Joseph Ortiz, and Guy Forzi. Lagayard and Ortiz were involved in the May 1958 putsch. They were the key non-military putschists back then. Now, several military units were sent to restore order in Algiers, between them the 1st ERREP. However, French soldiers and legionnaires sympathized with the demonstrators, so there tended to be a melding between the two. In Paris, de Gaulle asked the French army to remain loyal to him. He made a TV speech, which included these words, and I quote, You, French of Algeria, how can you listen to the liars and conspirators who tell you that if you grant free choice to the Algerians, France and de Gaulle want to abandon you, retreat from Algeria, and deliver you to the rebellion? End of quote. He went on to make a, a, a pretty compelling speech, but not compelling enough. And then the demonstrations ended on February 1st, and the leaders of the insurrection were arrested. Now, this is an astonishing calving off of a colony by France that happens in such a compressed amount of time. I still don't have a great explanation for why de Gaulle turned on a dime and instead of maintaining a colony, seemed to be doing everything that he possibly could to prevent it from remaining a French colony just across the ocean from them. Uh, in September, on September 4th, a speech by de Gaulle in which he announced that the Algerian Algeria was on the way. There was the barricades trial. The demonstration's leaders would be sentenced to 10 years in prison. Ironically, in May 1958, they helped de Gaulle to gain the power. And then on November 4th, remember this is a mere 60 days after he talks about Algerian Algeria being on the way, he spoke about the future Algerian Republic. 
Now fast forward to December 8th through the 13th, we have large demonstrations occurred in Algiers. Demonstrations in support of French Algeria, aimed at de Gaulle, visiting Algeria at the time. The demonstrations were led by the French Algeria Front, the FAF, not to be confused with the FLN, which was indigenous. And a French party established in June 1960, over 1 million members, 40% of them were Muslim Arabs. December 15th, this FAF party was banned by the French government. They were representing the Petendois and also the Muslims who had co-opted, collaborated, or wanted Algeria to remain a French colony. And during de Gaulle's visit, also there were pro-Algerian demonstrations for the first time in history. Algerian flags appeared in December 1960 that hadn't been seen since 1831. Now it's 1961. French referendum on Algerian self-determination. January 8th, referendum was held. Ordered by French President de Gaulle in Algeria, 70% of voters voted for yes for self-determination. Only 59% of all Algerian voters voted in the referendum. Now, what you had was the beginning of the military revolts and revolutions. The 1ERREP, this is a legionary organization, a para-organization, had an officer's revolt. On January 8th, the rep officers revolted. A unique, extraordinary issue. They were stationed on the Tunisia border. Four company commanders refused to carry out a military operation. Their revolt was a response to the referendum for Algerian self-determination. The four officers were transferred out of the Legion, and also other officers would have to leave the regiment too. Remember the French Foreign Legion, all of the officers are not legionary officers per se. They come from the regular French army. So in this case, they were regular French army officers. So now we see three years later, later, there is preparations for a new putsch. In January in Paris, a new putsch started to be prepared by several French high-ranking officers led by Colonel Boisat and Colonel Agou. Between them, also a number of Legion officers, including Lieutenant Colonel de la Chapelle the then commander of the first REC, the paratroop organization. There were talks with the FLN rebels. In March, the French talks with the FLN rebels started, and of course this was in order to facilitate the transfer of ownership of the country from the French to the indigenous population represented by the FLN rebels. On April 11th, in a conference with de Gaulle, he said France had no problem with an independent Algeria. So the very next day, April 12th, the plotters decided to make the putsch. And here we are, 1961, General's Putsch of Algiers. A slight editorial pause here. I want to emphasize that it's storytelling, narrative, cause and effect, and the consequences, both moral and practical, that emerge from the actions of individuals and groups of people, small and large, It's not dusty dates. It's not any of that that makes history alive and vivid and something to study so that we can avoid the mistakes in our own time and in the future. So with that, the 1961 General's Pooch of Algiers, the ride begins. April 20th, 1961, it's a Thursday. General Maurice Chalet arrives secretly to Algeria. 
He's a French officer born in 1905, between 58 and 60, a chief of the French forces in Algeria, the author of the famous Chalet Plan, a series of successful operations aimed at the FLN rebels in 1960 and 61. He was NATO commander of Central Europe. He resigned in February 1961. He was accompanied by General André Zeller, also a French officer, born in 1898, seven years before Chalet, between 55 and 56 and 58 and 59, a chief of the French army. Now, both of these generals were welcomed by Major Georges Robin, then commander of the GCPRG, which is a parachute commando group. GCPRG was an elite battalion-sized airborne unit. Battalion size is between 600 and 800 men. Major Robin spent almost 10 years in the Foreign Legion before returning to the French regular army. Now, Georges Robin was a French officer born in Algeria in 1921, Young second lieutenant, he preferred to serve in the Legion of 46 to 48. He served with three REI in Indochina. 48, 49, he served in Morocco with a mounted company from the 4th REI. Back in Indochina in 50 to 52, Captain Robin served with the 5th REI. These in REI and REP are all Legion units. 55, 56, he served with the 1st Rep in Algeria. 57, he led an instruction company, the 1st RE. 60, Major Robin took command of the GCPRG, which is that parachute commando group I mentioned earlier. And in 61, he becomes one of the plotters. The plotters all move to the capital in Algiers, to the Poisson Via at Les Tagalines, a district of Algiers, then headquarters of Major Robin and his GCPRG. Other French officers participating in the putsch arrive too. General Gardy, Bozard, Colonel Godin, and Colonel Gardet. Additionally, there was a General Edmond Juhal. Juhal was a French officer born in Algeria in 1905, member of the French Air Army since 1926, 43 to 45, a member of the French Resistance, 54, the commander of air forces in Indochina. By the way, commander of air forces in Indochina during Dien Ben Phu. 57, 58, a deputy commander of all French forces in Algeria, hence his relationship with Chalet. In 58 to 60, the commander of the French Air Army, in 60, General Juhard resigned from the army. In 61, he became one of the plotters. And General Chalet would become head of the putsch. Now, the very next day, April 21st, 1961, at 1330, Major Halide de Saint-Marc visited General Chalet, a provisional commander of the 1st Rep. Saint-Marc was a French officer born in France in 1922. During World War II, a member of the French Resistance. Of course he was imprisoned in the Buchenwald concentration camp, 43 to 45, assigned to the Legion in late 1947. In 1948 to 50, he served as a lieutenant with the 3rd REI in Indochina. Back in Algeria in late 1950, he joined the 3 BEP, later the 3 REP. In Indochina, 51 to 53, Captain de Saint-Marc served with the 2nd BEP, in 53 to 54, with a regular French airborne unit, not Legion. 54, back to Indochina to serve with the 1st BEP, later the 1st Rep. 55 to 57, he served with the 1st Rep in Algeria. In January 61, mere four months from this time, he rejoined the 1st Rep to become its deputy commander. Now, Major de Saint-Marc was asked if he wanted to join the Putsch. Chalet himself assured him that it was neither a fascist coup d'etat or a pro-racism action. Major de Saint-Marc eventually agreed. 
The first rep will become the important element of the putsch. That day, all the tasks are given. The start of the putsch was scheduled for 2 a.m. in the morning. April 22, 1961, Saturday, 12.05 a.m. The first rep left its camp of Zeralda, small town located some 12 miles west of Algiers. The unit would seize four strategic points in Algiers. The Caserne Palissier, barracks of the French forces in Algiers. The Oulet Fayette, radio station, the Houssede Police Academy, and General Delegation, which is the French government headquarters in Algeria. At Caserne Palissier, General Vessinet was captured, then chief of French forces in Algiers. At Oulet Fayet, which is the radio station, the only victim of the putsch, Sergeant Brilliant, Brillon, a French soldier. He defended the radio station with his weapon. In five minutes, the entire station was seized. The rest of the men were neutralized. Hussey Day Police Academy was seized without complications, and the general delegation was also seized. General Gambiers and uh, St. Hilaire were captured. Gambiers was in chief of the French forces in Algeria, and St. Hilaire was the commander of the 10th Parachute Division, regular French army. At 3.30 a.m., the four strategic points were seized. The mission was accomplished. Major de Saint-Marc informed General Chalet. That night, 19 strategic points were seized in total. Fifteen of them were seized by two parachute commando units, uh, GCPRG paratroopers of Major Robin and GCP of Air paratroopers of Lieutenant Colonel Maurice Emery. In the morning, Radio France station broadcast a speech of General Chalet. Quote, I am in Algiers with Generals Zeller and Juhal, in contact with General Salan to keep our oath, the oath of the army to guard Algeria because of our fallen soldiers, to not be victims for nothing, end of quote. During April 22nd, several government officials would be arrested, between them Jean-Marie and Robert Berron. Jean-Marie was then French governor of Algeria, and Robert Berron was then French minister of transport. The arrested men were transferred to Insala. It's a small town in the Sahara of central Algeria, most unpleasant. They were held in an international hotel. And at this point, new units start joining the putsch. That day, new units started arriving from the Constantine region, eastern Algeria. Between them, a French foreign legion unit, the first wreck of Lieutenant Colonel Charles de la Chapelle. Now, de la Chapelle is an interesting cat. French officer born in France in 1914, member of an old French nobility family. In 1934, he joined the armies as a volunteer. In 1940, he left the military academy as an officer. In 1941, Lieutenant de la Chapelle landed in Syria. He took part in the Syria-Lebanon campaign, and Syria faced free French forces of de Gaulle. So in this case, remember, he's fighting for the Vichy forces. He refused to join them and returned to North Africa. In November 1941... Lieutenant de la Chapelle joined the first wreck with his unit. He took part in the 1943 Tunisia campaign. In 44 and 45, Captain de la Chapelle fought in France and Germany. And in 4650, he served at the French Military Cavalry Academy. In 51 to 54, with a French cavalry unit in Indochina. 54 to 59, Major de la Chapelle served in Germany and in France. And in mid-1960, de la Chapelle took command of the first wreck in the French Foreign Legion. Two editorial notes, you'll find that when it came to French regular army officers who really wanted to press the envelope of small unit combat, tended to find themselves in the French Foreign Legion. 
And while the French Foreign Legion characterized itself as having constant paratrooper organizations and constant paratrooper operations, they didn't necessarily always jump out of planes, but paratrooper organizations, even if they didn't jump out of planes, much like the German paratrooper organizations during World War II, which after the investment and and a conflict in Greece in 1942, they found that they simply didn't have the air power to do that, but they still maintained paratrooper units that acted as their elite light infantry. And that would be the characterization case here, where these are elite light infantry, not necessarily making multiple jumps or anything like that, but nonetheless having that elite manifestation in the way that they conducted themselves. And there were also two parachute chasseurs, and that's hunters' regiments that were involved in this, 14 RCP and the 18 RCP. <coughs> 18 RCP was commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Masolo, and he was a well-known Legion officer also. Born in 1911 as a lieutenant, he joined the Foreign Legion in 1936 with his unit. He served in Syria and Lebanon. Uh, then he went on through various services to include in 1953. He joins the 3rd BEP in Algeria to command the unit in 1954. In 54, he and his 3rd BEP moved to Indochina to become a new 2nd BEP, again, a legion organization, redesignated the 2nd REP. Major Masolo served with the unit until 58. In early 1960, Lieutenant Colonel Masolo took command of the 18th RCP, again, a legionary organization. Now, 14 RCP and 18 RCP made, made part of the 25th Parachute Division. All three units arrived in Algiers in the afternoon. In Algiers, the units were cheered by large crowds of people. They saw the Puchist as their saviors. This would be the Pere Noir. This would be the native French people who either had been there since the 1830s or had emigrated from metropolitan France to Algeria, Tunisia, or Morocco to live in the French colonies. Now, with the first wreck, there was also a Colonel Antoine Argot, a non-Legion officer, one of the two initial key plotters. He landed in Algeria a day earlier, and he was a close friend of De La Chapelle. Now, the coup complications start to emerge. Best laid plans, ladies and gentlemen. General Chalet saw the first complications made by several generals who commanded French forces in the regions. In the Constantine region, that's eastern Algeria, General Gouron then Chief of Staff of French Forces in the region, previously General Garral, agreed with joining the Putsch. In the morning, he informed General Chalet that he changed his mind. The Constantine region was the most important region. It was where 1st Rec, 1st RCP, 14 RCP, 18 RCP were already on their way to Algiers. They weren't able to return back due to this change in the situation. A few hours later, the same General Garral asked officially his troops to not join the Putsch. So General Zeller left Algiers to see General Gural. In the Kabylie region, General Simon, he refused to join the Putsch too, then chief of the French forces in the region, a region between Algiers and Constantine. Yes, you do need a map if you really want to follow along on this. In the Oran region, which is one of the heaviest concentrations of the Pétain Noir, the, uh, the white colonialists down there, from metropolitan French. France, you had a General de Pouli. 
He also refused to join the Putsch, then chief of the French forces in the region. This is northwestern Algeria. In the western Sahara, General de Maison Rouge, he didn't join the Putsch either. Then chief of the French forces in the region, western Algeria. In the south, General Arfelo, he wasn't sure if he was to join the Putsch. Then chief of the French forces in the region, southern Algeria plus the Sahara, with the headquarters of Medea, the largest military region of Algeria. Now, General Arfelo sent his aide to General Chalet. Chalet offered General Arfelo a very prestigious position to become the chief of the French forces in Algiers. Nonetheless, General Arfelo was also contacted by General Lee, a newly appointed chief of the French forces in Algeria by President de Gaulle. General Ali offered General Arfalo the same position in Algiers. General Arfalo agreed and refused to join the Putsch. So the complications start to emerge in this, and this is where you're going to see a shattering of resolve. In the early morning, General Gardi left for Oran. He should rectify or replace the defiant General Depouli, likely the second most important action during the Putsch. The Oran region, northwestern Algeria, was homeland to the Foreign Legion. The Putschist depended on his participation. General Paul Gardi had very strong ties with the Legion. He had served with the Legion since 1925 when he was a lieutenant, and moving fast forward to 5155, he commanded the Legion's headquarters in Sidi Bel Abbas. And in 58 to 60, General Gardi became the chief of the Foreign Legion. So, in General Gardi, if the Putschists can't convince him to join, then there's going to be a lot of parts of the French Foreign Legion who will refuse or align themselves with this one general's decision. So General Gardi landed at Sidi Bel Abbas. At the local military airport, he met with Colonel Albert Bautier. Colonel Bautier was then commanding officer of the 1st RE. 1st RE served de facto as the headquarters of the Legion, as it does today. Previously, Colonel Bautier made sure he would support the putsch. He cooperated with the plotter since January 61. Remember, this is April. Colonel Brotier changed his mind and went officially on leave April 21st. General Gardi moved to Quartier Vinon, then headquarters of the Legion. He met with Colonel Etienne Augier de Balny, a Legion cavalry veteran and then deputy commander of the 1st RE. Later, General Gardi again spoke with Colonel Bautier. The colonel still claimed he was pro-Putschist. However, he stated that the Legion should wait for General Depolet. General Gardi left Sidi Bel Abbas. He moved to Iran to speak with General Depolet. General Gardi tried to get him to join the Putsch. General Depolet said he needs time to decide. It's 1,300 hours. General Gardi returned to Sidi Bel Abbas, the headquarters of the French Foreign Legion. He met with Colonel Argu, having freshly arrived from Algiers, one of the two main plotters. Colonel Brotier and Colonel Argu moved to Iran to get the final decision of General Depouli. According to General Gardi, the entire 1st RE agreed with the putsch. The officers were happy and ready to take action. Four companies were put on strip alert. Now, Colonel Botier and Colonel Argu returned to Sidi Belabas. They informed General Gardi about the results of their trip. General Depouli decided to not join the putsch. He spoke with General Chalet by telephone. General Depouli agreed to be replaced by General Gardi, again, head of the Foreign Legion. 
The change of command was scheduled for April 23rd in the morning. And on that Sunday morning, April 23rd, the 2nd Foreign Parachute Regiment joined the Putsch, based in the Constantine region. Yes, you need a map. Led by Major Bernard Cabiro, then Deputy Commander. During the night, the 2nd REP left its base at Philip left its base at Philipville. It moved to Algiers. Colonel Pierre Darmuzai, its commanding officer, was sleeping in his house in the town, a former member of de Gaulle's Free French Forces, before commanding the 2nd Rep. In the evening, before going home, he asked his officers to remain disciplined. Now, General Zeller and Constantine, he arrives. This is eastern Algeria. He met with General Garat, the regional chief of the French forces. General Garat had joined the Putsch, but refused a few hours later. General Zeller talked his friend into rejoining the Putsch. General Garat agreed eventually. However, there was a complication. The previous day, General Garat had ordered his troops to not join the Putsch. When he changed that order on Sunday, nobody obeyed him. And now we have Sunday when the first wreck is sent to Kabylie to rectify the defiant General Simone. However, the cavalry legionnaires didn't find General Simone. He disappeared. General Simone would make a complicated journey to Paris. He would emerge in the capital of France several days later. Meanwhile, General Gardy is in Iran. He moved there. He was accompanied by Colonel Argou, also accompanied the first Re, and that was led by Captain Bonnell. General Dapuli left Iran for Temaklen, a town in northwestern Algeria, 70 mile, about 70 miles southwest of Iran. Yes, you need a map. He would try to rebel a little bit there. General Gardi negotiated with General Klaus, then chief of the French Air Forces in the Iran region. General Klaus didn't join the putsch. However, he promised General Gardi he would remain neutral, the same negotiations, with Admiral Alan Querville the commander of the French naval base at Mers El Kabir, the most important French military joint base in North Africa. Now, this was located about six miles northwest of Iran. Admiral Corvel also promised to be neutral. The same day, 14th RCP and 18th RCP left Algiers for Iran, almost 250 miles west of Algiers. The regiments had to assure the position of General Gardi. They arrived in Iran in the afternoon. You could see this is quite the complicated chessboard. Uh, General Salon finally arrived in Algiers. General Raoul Salon. He'd become the fourth general being involved in the push. Born 1899, fought in both world wars, commanded French forces in Indochina in 52 and 53. 56 to 58, he commanded French forces in Algeria. Under his command, the successful putsch of 13 May 1958, in December 1958, he was replaced by General Chalet, who was now leading the putsch. General Salon had retired in June of 1960. In October 1960, he publicly supported French Algeria. The French government wanted to arrest him. He escaped since late October 1960. General Salon had lived in exile in Spain, and now he was arriving in Algiers. The worm turns. Now, he was accompanied by two activists, civil activists, by the name of Jean-Jacques Soussigny and Joseph Ortiz. Both were pro-French Algeria activists. They both organized a week of barricades in January 1960. They were sentenced to 10 years in prison. However, they also escaped to Spain with General Salon. 
Now they wanted to organize pro-French Algerian people to support the putsch. All right, still April 23rd, 2000, President de Gaulle has a TV speech, likely the most important event of the putsch. Seen as one of the best speeches of de Gaulle, and I urge all of my listeners to take a listen to it. President de Gaulle asked all French people to support him. He also asked all French soldiers to do the same. And he asked to use all possible ways to stop the plotters. It's April 24th, Monday, a mere four days into this plot. In the morning, General Gardy sent 14th and 18th RCP to Tiemsen to pacify, in quotes, General Dipoli. Dipoli tried to revolt a little bit, supported by Paris. Both units formed a brigade, that's about 2,000 men, give or take, led by Lieutenant Colonel Massolo from the 18th RCP. In Tlemcen, Lieutenant Colonel Massolo talked with General Dipoli. They knew each other, and Lieutenant Colonel Massolo didn't want to arrest him. General Dipoli asked to speak with General Chalet. Then a military helicopter took him to Algiers and Algiers. General Dipoli met with General Chalet. After a long conversation, he refused to join the putsch. General Dipolet was arrested by the Putsch advocates and sent to Insalat. That day, and I know this is a vast cast of characters that I urge you to um, either read books or do some digging for yourselves as listeners into some of these signature human beings who were involved in this entire process. Colonel de Bosseau joins the Putsch, Georges de Bosseau, commander of the Jigeli sector, part of the Constantine region. His action would not change the path of the putsch. He made it only as a gesture, a gesture to express his fidelity to General Chalet. He previously served under his command as a member of his staff, and he was also a former French Foreign Legion officer. Now, there were four generals who had a public speech in Algiers on this Monday, starting at 1830. To the crowd of About 100,000 civilians. The civilians cheered the generals. They saw the generals as their last hope. The demonstration was guarded by the first rep. And here we have new complications emerging. Complications with military conscripts. A number of these conscripts refused to serve. They refused to work and to obey their officers. The vast majority of then French units consisted of conscripts. So there were complications also with officers and units because many French officers stopped their support to the putsch. They were instilled with fear by the TV speech of de Gaulle because it was hitting home what they were doing. And they were also nervous about the ongoing inactivity of Putschists. And they didn't know, sort of like the prisoner's dilemma, well, which side do I end up on and which I gain the most benefit? And you can imagine the chaos that starts to emerge here and how indigenous forces and people start to take advantage of the French political house of cards starting to be at war with itself in a very public manner. There's uh, several actions to restore or to pacify severe, several rebellious military bases. At Concern de Orleans and Algiers, a first rep company sent to restore order at Blida, southwest of Algiers, first rex squadron sent to restore order, also first rep units at Maison Blanche, the airport of Algiers, second rep was, rep was sent to restore order there, and, of course, you can imagine this is starting to cascade into chaos. And then we have the Mares El Kabir incident. Admiral Cuervo refused to be neutral. General Chalet ordered to seize the naval base. 
General Gardy sent 14th RCP to Mares El Kabir, where the naval base is. However, the men of Lieutenant Colonel Le Comte's 14th RCP revolted. Two of his three companies refused to obey the order, and the naval base wasn't seized. I didn't mention this, didn't want it to be a spoiler, but by the way, this putsch lasts five days, less than a week. General Gardy, he goes back to our to Algiers, and he contacted General Chalet. He informed about the incident with the 14th RCP. Colonel Brotier stopped the cooperation, too. The 1st RE's had refused to send Legion units to Mers el-Kabir, the naval base. General Gardy reported that the situation wasn't good. General Chalet asked him to return to Algiers. It's a mess. And, of course, in the afternoon, 1st Rec and 2nd Rep leave Algiers. They return back to the Constantine region to both their headquarters and their barracks and cantonment organizations. And, of course, in the evening, the putsch was over. General Chalet capitulated. He didn't want to see French soldiers fighting each other. Good call, General. Initially, he expected all French forces in Algeria would support him. Finally, only a few units did. Generals Zeller and Gardy disappeared. General Chalet, Salan, and Juhal left Algiers. They moved to the first reps camp of Zeralda with its convoy. The putsch ended. In the early morning, Generals Salan and Juhal would leave the camp. They would fight for French Algeria illegally as partisans until 1962. Remember, this is April 1961. General Chalet would be arrested in the morning at the camp. I do want to emphasize a couple things here, and that's the Legion Command didn't join the putsch. Led by General René Morel, a former member of de Gaulle's Free French Forces, a strongly anti-putschist officer. However, he had a low authority among his men at the time he was in France. So I want to make that clear that the Legion Command didn't join the putsch. The 1st Foreign Regiment, yes, the 1st RE, joined the putsch, led by Bautier and Baldney. The 2nd Foreign Infantry Regiment, 2nd REI, joined the putsch. The 3rd Foreign Infantry Regiment, 3rd REI, didn't join the putsch. They were commanded by Colonel Pierre Langlois, a former member of de Gaulle's Free French Forces. You see a motif here. Strongly anti-putschist, and he made it clear that he would not join the putsch. The 4th Foreign Infantry Regiment, mm, yes and no, this would be the 4th REI. They were commanded by Colonel Etienne Georgeon. He was strongly pro-putschist, but he had a Lieutenant Colonel Michael Vadeau, who didn't join the putsch. He was then deputy commander of the 4th REI. So you can imagine the complications there. Uh, the 5th Foreign Infantry Regiment, 5th REI, yes, they joined the putsch. 13th Demi Brigade of the Foreign Legion, that would be the 13th DBLE, yes, they joined it, commanded by Colonel Alberic Vallion. The 1st Foreign Parachute Regiment, the 1st Rep, joined the putsch. They were the ones who were commanded by Maurice Giraud. 2nd Foreign Parachute Regiment, yes, they joined the putsch. 1st Foreign Cavalry Regiment, yes, they joined the putsch. 2nd Foreign Cavalry Regiment, yes, 2nd Rec, joined the putsch. The Foreign Legion Saharan Motorized Units, yes, they joined. And the Aftermath. 
So we have this notion today where we have a chronological conceit where here we are in 2023 and we're just so enlightened and better than everybody else who has ever preceded us. And we never put ourselves in the mindset of the 1940s, 50s, and 60s when these events are taking place and in the mindsets of both fighting men and civilian men and women who were involved in these things. So we had to be careful to measure what we perceive from all of this. So here we have a coup, a coup d'etat, a putsch that lasts less than a week. So what's the aftermath of this general's putsch? What are the punishments? About 220 officers were removed from command. 110 officers were arrested. June and July, 61, general's putsch trial took place in Paris. General Maurice Chalet, 15 years in prison, freed in December 1966, a mere five years into a sentence, pardoned by de Gaulle in 68, died in 79. General André Zeller surrendered two weeks later, early May 1961, 15 years in prison, freed in July 1966, same as Chalet, pardoned by de Gaulle in 68, died at the same time as Chalet in 79. General Raoul Salon, he fought for French, free French Algeria illegally as a partisan after this. He was arrested in April 1962, sentenced to death, later changed, and commuted to life imprisonment. Freed and pardoned in the mass pardon in 1968 by de Gaulle, and he died in 1984. Uh, General Edmond Jouhal fought for French Algeria illegally as a partisan. You'll find that if they fought as partisans afterwards, the sentence would become death, it would be commuted, and then most, if not all of them, if they had not fled, tended to be pardoned by de Gaulle in 68 and then died later on. Uh, General Paul Gardy, never arrested, fought for French Algeria illegally as a partisan, sentenced to death in abstentia. Apparently in June 62, he left Algeria for South America. He died in exile in Argentina in 1975. Uh, Major Heli de Semar, first rep since 10 years in prison, again pardoned. Uh, Charles de la Chapelle, first rec, seven years in prison, again pardoned. Lieutenant Colonel Georges Massolot, 18th RCP, eight years in prison, pardoned in 1968. Lieutenant Colonel Pierre Lecomte, eight years in prison, pardoned in 1968. Georges Robin, six years, pardoned in 68. And then we see Maurice Emery, Julian Camaline, and Major Bernard Cabiro, second rep, fifth REI, and a GCP of air, uh, three years and one year on probation. The highest ranking officers, generals and colonels, got 15, five to 15 years in prison. Between them, five active generals. Imagine that. Imagine this happening in America. Astonishing. General Garad, the commander of the Constantine region, likely the most unlucky higher-ranking officer of the Putsch, at least three times joining the Putsch, at least three times joining de Gaulle. April 22nd, he officially ordered his units to not join the Putsch, but he still got seven years in prison. The sixth general, General Montre, was acquitted. The rest of the arrested officers got one to five years in prison at most. The majority of them got one to three years on probation and several of them were acquitted. Now, as a result of this, there were unit dissolutions. 
because why would you maintain units that involve themselves in a coup d'etat or a coup de main under the government? In this case, it would be a lot of French Foreign Legion organizations to include the 1st Rep, which was the Foreign Parachute Regiment, the 14th Chasseurs Parachute Regiment, the 18th Chasseurs Parachute Regiment, Parachute Commando Group General Reserve, Air Parachute Commando Group, 10th Parachute Division, 25th Parachute Division. You will note that a lot of paratrooper organizations had to be dismantled because once that trigger was pulled, they thought that remediation would be very difficult for one to arrive at. So a few closing thoughts. For those of you who stuck with me through this very pedantic and detailed podcast episode, I was trying to get across a few things, not only the historical reality of this less than a week long putsch, this coup de main, coup d'etat that was occurring to take out the French government in Paris in 1961 by what was literally colonial irregular army officers in French Algeria at the time, and to topple said French government on the Western European continent. You know, 1961, that's a mere 60-plus years ago, not too long ago. Spain would probably be the only contemporary country we can see in Western Europe Western Europe, that has experienced these kinds of military turbulence. But nonetheless, I think this is a valuable lesson, not only in what militaries can do as far as possibly toppling the governments that they are nominally subsidiary to, but also that all imperial behavior comes home. This is a great example that whatever the empire does abroad, it's going to come home to bite you in the ass. And that these kind of colonial frameworks have a life of their own, take on a life of their own, and have second and third order effects and consequences in the body politic of the home nation that administers these kind of colonies and the concomitant colonial warfare that starts to append itself from this. The lesson here is my standard boilerplate. Whatever empires do abroad, they will eventually bring it home. Great Britain is probably the largest, the most sophisticated basket case we have to demonstrate that on Earth today, but the United States isn't far behind. And please remember, it is my conceit that all counterinsurgency conducted by Western forces for the past 100 years or 200 years, if you'd like to go that far, are nothing more than thinly veiled colonial warfare efforts to either retain colonies or have influences at the Marshall spear point to expand their influence in other countries, mostly in the third world and developing nations. So that concludes this episode. I'd like to dedicate this episode to my friend of a quarter century. Lastly, I'd like to dedicate this episode to R.G., a close friend of mine of a quarter century, who requested that I cover this very subject. So, uh, gift delivered. I really enjoyed doing the research for this. I am, uh, I am indebted to a number of books that I own, a couple that I mentioned, and the foreign legion sources that are available on the internet that gave me a lot of the 
input and outlines and stuff that I needed to make this whole. Those of you who have constructive comments or questions or recommendations for future episodes, you know how to reach me. That would be cgpodcast at pm.me. That is cgpodcast at pm.me. And in a fortnight, we will visit together again. This is Bill, out.